Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Good morning. Please be seated. Good morning. Love, love, love your pastors. Love this church. Uh, We are thrilled to be here this morning. We did just come back from Europe. A group of pastors in Switzerland had been calling, and I kept saying, nah, nah, it's just the other side of the world, too far from Peru. But went and had an amazing time uh, training some of the pastors there, and God is really waking up some churches there. It was fun to see it. Fun to see what God was doing over there. So, But I love Calvary. I consider this part of our family, just friends uh, with your... Love your pastors. We got to go to... Yeah. We got to go to Uganda together last year to visit some compassion stuff. And uh, I, I was deeply touched by it. I know your pastor was too with the child sponsorship, but saw some amazing things there. I I never forget this one grandma, 80 years old. Her daughter had like eight kids, but the daughter died. So now grandma at 80 years old had to take these eight little children in her house and take care of them. And it was such an amazing thing because I still remember what she said when somebody, her house was about as big as two of these squares. And, and I, somebody asked her, how, your house is so small, how can you take in all these children? And her answer was this, a house can never be small, only a heart can. Only a heart can be small. And she was amazing. And, and after a while, you know, we just, there, we realized like something like a goat can change somebody's life. A goat. I mean, when somebody mentioned that we'd visited this lady and she was just so poor with all her kids and, and she had like two chickens and that was all her wealth. And we thought, you know, if she had a goat, we could help her a lot, just a goat. So I, I looked at Alex and go, Hey, how much money you got? He goes, I don't know how much money you got. I said, I think I got enough for half a goat. He goes, all right, I'll get the other half. But the thing is, is we weren't supposed to do this. We were told not to do it, so, but we did it anyway, you know, so, so we bought a goat. And then it was funny because we go to this other house and this mom was there with all these kids, poor. And I mean, she had a goat and the goat and all the kids are sleeping in this little area, no on the dirt, no mattresses. And Alex looked at me, and goes, how much money you got? I said, why? She needs a mattress. No, she needs two. You know, how much money you got? He goes, I think I got enough left for half a mattress if you get the other half. And so we split. And, and then it was funny because then we confessed our sin to the compassion people. I know you told us not to do this. He goes, we all do it. <laughs> we all do it. So anyway, we bought some goats and some mattresses and um, had a great time. Uh, and I know now you're doing some child sponsorships and we're about to get deeply involved with that in our church in Peru. Love Peru. We've been there for 36 years. 
¿Dónde están los peruanos? ¿Dónde están? La mejor comida del mundo, perdón a los de Colombia, perdón a los de Cuba. Gracias a Dios por el Perú. Amen. Thank God for Peru. They do have some great food, but how many Colombians are here? I know there's a lot of Colombians. Amen. Tentico, cafeoma. How many Cubans are here? Oh, God loves Cuba. Amen. He loves Cuba because you guys made ropa vieja and cafe cubano and all the good stuff. Uh, just love the, everything we get to do. I'm going to do a teaching, if that's okay. Um, sometimes I preach, sometimes I teach, but in my pastoral side of my heart, I do teaching. And uh, just kind of share where this teaching came out of before I get into it. I call it Everything is Worship. Everything is Worship. And the reason I actually brought this up, we had just finished a conference in our church a, a little while ago, and the theme of the conference was Everything is Worship. But I was watching several of our workers and our youth and our volunteers in the church. And we are, are in the midst right now of a very intense year, a great year, but a lot of work. And every now and then as a pastor, I watch the people pouring their hearts out, all the work they're doing and all the stuff that, that's going on. And, I, and my heart just goes out for them saying, God, you know, they're just giving so much so much they're pouring themselves out and then the holy spirit spoke to me said they're worshiping they're worshiping and at the end of we we had our anniversary with a special service in the national soccer stadium and then we had a conference a men's conference another conference and a lot of stuff going on and we got some crazy stuff going on this month this crazy stuff i can't even begin to tell you what we're trying to do but something like 11 stadiums to fill up in one day. And um, anyway, with all this stuff going on, uh, I was just kind of sitting back looking at our church. And then I, I remembered that thing that we teach. Great churches are built on the second mile. It's not just doing enough. It's going above and beyond. It's going just that little extra, going a little farther, going a little deeper and And then I, I began to remember some principles that I teach. In fact, everything God does in the Bible are patterns based on principles. Everything he does. Uh, when you understand this, then it, it, it helps us to, to simplify things. In fact, I tell people in our church, I say this to every Sunday almost. I tell all the new people coming into our church, if you give me one year of your life, I promise your life will be better. One year. Give us one year. Because sometimes people's lives are messy. I call them tallerinas. Which means like noodles. You ever see a plate of noodles? It's just like a twisted knot. That's people's lives. I mean, every now and then people come to me and they go, Pastor, I just need some help. And I go, okay, tell me. And they begin to tell me their life. And I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. And at the end, they go, what do I do? And I say, I have no clue. You are a mess. Man, you're a mess. Oh. 
But thank God it doesn't have anything to do with me. It has everything to do with him. Amen. This may not be fixed in a week or a month, but give me one year of your life. And I promise your life will be better. Amen. Now, when I say that, how can you make such a bold statement to give us one year of your life? And it's simple that everything God does in the Bible are patterns and principles. When you understand the patterns and the principles and you apply them to your life, your life will be better. Now, I explain it this way. If I say two, four, six, how do you know? How about this one? Five, 10, 15. How do you know? It's a pattern. It is a pattern based on a mathematical principle. In other words, because here in the past you have a pattern, you can predict the future. Because here certain patterns are going on, you know what is coming next. The same is true with math and the same is true with our life. And the same is true also with the Bible. If we do what God says here, he will always do what he promised here. Now I say this, the easiest way to say this is this, is... If you have an eight that you don't like, change your two, four, six. Okay, if in other words, if your life right now isn't where you want to be or it's not everything you hope for, you can't keep the same patterns and hope for a different uh, future. There comes time, there's a change. And that's why we say, give us a year of your life, because in that time, through the teaching of God's word, we can change the patterns here that will bring a different outcome here. It's patterns and principles. It's just as simple as that. Now, it's simple, but it's not simple, but it's simple. That's deep, isn't it? But it's not deep. Anybody want to buy a goat? (laughs) I got half a goat. No. Anyway, um, everything is worship. So if like it's, you see this, everything actually, when you pay attention to the details, everything is Jesus. I love this verse in John chapter 5, verse 39. John 5, it says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus is basically saying... Everything in the Bible, especially he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures, really reveals Jesus. And it reveals more. And there's so many patterns and principles. Nothing in the Bible is done by accident. So when you pay attention to details, all of a sudden those details become a pattern and something we can learn from. Now, in this pattern... uh, um, There's something in the Old Testament that God ordained and God told Moses to build. It was called the tabernacle. I don't know if you've studied the tabernacle and uh, there's so much you can get in the tabernacle. I'm just going to barely scratch the surface. But you see, the tabernacle in the desert was when Israel came out of Egypt where they had been slaves. God had always had it in his heart to live with his people. That alone should be pretty amazing. When you think about this, that the God that made everything, the God, creator of heaven and earth, the God that created everything we know wants to live with us. That's amazing. 
Now, the Bible says that Moses went up the mountain and God gave him some instructions. And among the instructions were to build this tabernacle. And the Bible says he had to do it exactly like God said. There was no room for, well, I know you said that, God, but I think this might be better. Or this is what God said, but I just feel I'd like to do it this way. No, there's no room for that. There was a pattern, and God says, if you do it the way I tell you, then you're going to get the outcome you want. You're going to get what you're looking for, but do it exactly. And God went into details in the building of this tabernacle, like what kind of wood to use. He said, use the acacia wood. Acacia wood is twisted, knotted wood. I mean, cedars of Lebanon were much easier to work with. But see, the wood in the Bible represents humanity, and a lot of us are twisted, knotted. Uh, But what happens is God made these perfectly straight poles, and that's what happens when God works with us. He makes out of this twisted, knotted life something useful. So... And, and there's, you know, use certain kinds of material in certain colors in certain places. So, in other words, God said, if you build this according to the pattern, I will show up. It actually says that when you prepare the offering, if everything is done the way I said, I will answer and fire will come down from heaven. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. And it will consume the altar and then I'll dwell with you. Now, there, like I said, there was no room for God said this, but I feel like I'd rather do it this way because it's easier. And the same is in this pattern of the tabernacle. It's the same true in our life. If we do our life the way God says, then we're going to get the outcome we want. It's as simple as that. If we build our life the way God said, he knows what we're looking for. So I have a picture of the tabernacle. This is one of the many in the uh, Old Testament. But this is a painting somebody drew of the tabernacle. And I love this, especially this painting or this uh, portrayal of the tabernacle. Because you see around all of uh, the tabernacle, the 12 tribes of Israel. Here in the front of the tabernacle, you see where um, Moses and Aaron dwelt and then you see these tents on this side which is where the Kohathites were on the other side where the Levites were and and what we see here is how God now one of the things I really really like about this and before I go any farther I just want to mention this one of the most obvious things you see in this picture is that column of fire that's the presence of God and where is God but in the midst of his people that's what I love. That's, that's always been his heart. Now, I want to just mention, because there's several furniture pieces here. There's the fire. We'll come back to that in a minute. There's the altar. Uh, where And the altars, by the way, are, are ugly places. There's death there. There's blood there. There's animals being sacrificed. You, you walk in. The first thing you see in the tabernacle, the first thing is death. You see blood. You see animal sacrifices. And then you go to the next uh, piece of furniture, which was uh, the uh, brazen, um, lava, I'm thinking in Spanish, uh, the, the water basin, which was where there was water, where they washed their hands after the sacrifice. And then there were inside this tent, two areas. We're not going to go into much on the second area, but the first area is called the holy place. And inside there, there was three pieces of furniture. There was a candlestick, an incense uh, uh, 
and uh, show bread, a table with some bread on it. Now, I, I want to mention that because in Hebrews chapter 8, look at this. Hang with me because this gets kind of fun toward the end. But in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, look what it says. It says, they serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern. Patterns and principles, okay? God said, make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Now, notice the first part. It says, they serve as a copy of heavenly things. In other words, everything you see in the tabernacle, you see in heaven and you see in Jesus. Everything. In fact, chapter one of the book of Revelation, we see the candlestick and chapter five and chapter 11, you see the altar. You, you see the incense in chapter eight. You, it goes on in chapter 21 where it says that the tabernacle itself is opened and it's, uh, it's with us there in heaven. Everything in this tabernacle, nothing is by accident. Nothing is by accident. Now, not only is it saying God is with man, but if you go back to the picture, there's a couple of things just interesting to mention. You see that cloud every now and then would move. And when the cloud moved, the people had to move too. God's always doing something new. Always. Always. And whenever God moves, it's just, okay, we got to go. Every now and then, it's good, we get comfortable. I'm really cool where I'm at now. No, you know, God's moving again. No, God's moving again, you know, but I'm really comfortable. No, but God's moving. You can't stay where God was. We need to keep going on to where God is going to. And thank God, because the best is yet to come. Amen. Now, just to dig in a little more on this, remember I said the first piece of furniture is the altar. It's a place of death. The altar being a place of death, it's like Calvary. In fact, the Bible says Jesus. See, this was a shadow. This was a pattern. This was a type where they would offer a sacrifice every uh, for the sins of the people. It was just blood had to be offered. And some people say, well, why did God demand blood? I actually don't believe God demands blood. I believe the devil does. And let me explain that. Remember, just, there's so much in this to go, but do you remember when God said to Adam, the day you eat this fruit, you will die? God can't lie. And when God said that, the day you eat this fruit, you will die, I could almost picture when the serpent went into the garden and, and, and as the serpent tempts Eve and she eats the fruit and then Adam eats the fruit and as they deserve death because God cannot lie. They deserve death. But God, there's something more about God and that is God is love. And his love is so overwhelming that God said, wait a minute, for the first time, God said, you shall, you know, you're going to die if you eat that. And I can just picture the devil saying, God, you can't lie. Now you have to keep your word because you're God. You have to keep your word. And you could almost picture God saying, okay, death is demanded. But instead of killing Adam, I'm going to take this animal. And for the first time, blood was shed. 
and Adam was dressed in the skin of that lamb. And that was just a part of a type and a pattern and a shadow. Because remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming. And John the Baptist said, here is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You can picture the devil when God took the lamb and killed the lamb. The devil says, ah, that's not good enough. You see, you made Adam in your image. Adam was made in your image. And the only way you can cover that is a man has to die for Adam. And because all the men now are born in sin. And God said, no, I I have another plan. I will have another son. His name is Jesus Christ, and he will be that sacrifice. So you see, the altar is a place of blood, a place of death. It's Calvary, where the Bible says Jesus came once and for all, and there is now no longer sacrifice for sin. It's once and for all, forever done. Amen? The next place is the the laver where they wash their hands. And the Bible says the Bible, the word itself is washes us. It cleanses us. John 15, 3 says we're clean by the words he's spoken to us. Ephesians 5, 26 says the washing of the water of the word. And that's that part of that process. You know, we all come to God with certain things in our past. Accumulations of messes in that mess that I told you people come to. Sometimes we just have habits and those habits are... They're damaging to our own future. They're damaging to our life. And and then we get into the word and the washing of the water of the word begins to cleanse us. And, and then you get to the next place, which is the holy place, which is where a place of service. So what you see is the, the altar, the cross, the baptisms or the washing of the word. And then you get into a place of service. In other words, it's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's the altar is where we find God. We all come to God the same way. And that's the whole reason church exists. It's a place where we find God. But at the, then we go to the next basin. It's where we find freedom. And then we go to the next place. It's where we find our purpose. We, God has a purpose for each and every one of us. Now... Uh, just to dig a little deeper, when I mentioned that some people in our church had just been pouring out, this verse came back to me, and it's actually in Revelation 11.1. 1. It said, I was given a measuring staff, or rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar. Notice what it says, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and what? Those who worship rise and measure the altar and those who worship. There's only two things mentioned in the book of Revelation that's measured. One is the altar and those who worship. The other is the new Jerusalem, the city of God. Now, where is this important? You see, God measures worship. In the Old Testament, there was measuring. There was a measuring uh, rod like a, like a uh, I'm thinking in Spanish again, a plumb line from a arbenil. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there is that plumb line. And what that is, is it measures if the wall is straight. And if the wall isn't straight, 
then you know you gotta you gotta level it you gotta fix it that's the plumb line and what the word does is the word is our plumb line we measure our life according to his word and when we're life is straight then then god can begin to do things and move and and do some things but the bible says god measured the altar and when i watch those people that were pouring out their life giving the extra going the extra mile to get things done to to see people touched in lima in my heart i'm thinking oh god but then i realize no they're doing this for jesus he is measuring their worship hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 look what it says it says in hebrews through him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name in the old testament it was bloods of animals and it was sacrifice but in the new testament it's a continual worship offering our praise to him everything is worship everything i started thinking more about this and then i remembered certain parts of this tabernacle there's back in the tabernacle the levites you know the levites had this study from the age 25 to the age 30 there's five years of studying five years they study these levites and and you can imagine as they're going through calvary college And after five years, they're talking to each other. What are you going to do? Oh, I get to work at the altar and watch people's sins be forgiven. What are you going to do? Oh, I get to work at the labor, uh, the basin where people find freedom in God. What do you get to do? Oh, I put the golden oil in that lampstand that represents his word. Or I bake the bread. Or I I put the incense out, which is the prayers of the saints. And and you, you get these guys coming out. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And then there was this one Levite that said, oh, I. I got assigned to cutting wood. Cutting wood? You just studied five years to cut wood? That's your job as a Levite now? You cut wood? But you have to remember when God said, if you build this according to the pattern, he answered with fire. And then it says in Leviticus chapter 6 and chapter 9 that once God started that fire, they had to keep it going. They never were allowed to let the fire that God started out. If somebody started fire with another way, like two sticks together, a match, that's called strange fire in the Old Testament. And God didn't want anything that came out of human efforts. He only wanted the fire that he started. And the principle is this. God started a fire in each and every one of our lives. And once he has started it, then it's our duty to make sure that never goes out. Once God has begun the work in you, Paul even said to stir up. That means like stir up a fire. The gift of God that's in you. Don't let the fire go out. So that Levite had to cut wood because when the tabernacle moved, they had to carry hot coals with them because that was the fire that God started. They had to continually chop wood, chop wood. And when people said, what are you doing? That, some people said, oh, he's just cutting wood. And that Levite said, no, I'm worshiping God. I am worshiping. There were these other guys on this side over here, the Kohathites. Now, the Kohathites were given the job wherever and whenever the cloud moved, they had to pack up the tabernacle. 
Everybody else had to pack up their tent and carry their own belongings. But the Kohathites had to carry the tabernacle. And, and you can picture there's one guy assigned to the sticks. That's your job. Carry the sticks. Another guy carry the, the, the material that wraps around it. Another guy carry the, the different utensils inside the, inside the holy place. Each one was given a duty. And you can picture this one guy as he's carrying sticks through the desert. What are you doing? He's just carrying sticks. No, he is worshiping God because as he's carrying those sticks, that was the place that God dwelt. You see, what am I saying? Everything is worship. Everything is worship. When we come to church and you see the guys in the parking lot that are watching the cars, they're not just watching cars, they're worshiping God. You see the ones that are carrying umbrellas so you can stay dry as you come into church. What are they doing? Are they carrying umbrellas? No, they're Kohathites, they're worshiping God. What about those that are now watching your kids in the back room? Are they just watching kids? No, they're like the Levites. They're making sure the fire never goes out on those children. They are there worshiping God. The ones that came early to put the papers on the chairs or to clean the church or take care of the bathrooms. Are they just washing or cleaning a bathroom? No, that's worship to God. You see, everything we do is worship. Everything. But there's one guy that I want to talk about. You can find his story in Exodus 31, but I'll just mention it. His name is Bezleel. Bezalel is one of these guys that, you know, just gifted, artistic. One of these, you can picture him as a slave child in Egypt. He was one of these kids, maybe when mom and dad were making bricks. There was Bezalel taking the mud and making little figures out of it. And pretty soon people said, wow, he's good. Wow, look at these little figures he makes. That's almost real. That that looks so real. And and then they give him a piece of wood and he carved it. And it was like a perfect image of a man. And, and he says, boy, this kid is gifted. Look at his talent with his hands. Maybe they even brought him to some schools to study some more about how to craft things and how to work with his hands and how to make figurines and thing, uh, statues with his hands. And people began to notice everything he makes almost looks human. And then Bezalel goes out with his family. Cross the Red Sea. They're in the promised land. Moses goes up into the hills. And now Moses comes back. And he's got this thing called Ten Commandments. And all of Israel gathers around saying, this is like the constitution of a new nation being born. These Ten Commandments, what is God speaking to us? And you can listen to Bezalel excited. Oh, this is so exciting. We got our own nation. The constitution is being read to us. But when he gets to that part that God said, you shall make no graven image. You could hear Bezalel's heart go, ah, that's what I do. That's my talent. That's the gift I have. I can make things look real. I can make figures like animals or like statues like men and their face looks real. But now God forbids this. And you can picture Bezalel just going, now what do I do? Now what do I do? But then God told Moses something. He says, there's one more piece of furniture to build. And I want Bezalel to build it. In fact, I've already placed in Bezalel's heart 
Not only the talent and the gift to do it, but Bezalel, I want him to make this. And you can picture Bezalel when he gets commissioned by Moses, by God, to build this last piece of furniture. And he knows what it entails. And he's got in his heart already the image that this is going to look like. He takes extra care in building it. Takes extra care and, and as he's now molding it and he's shaping it and he takes the wood and he begins to sandpaper it down and carve it out. And, and already it's not just like everything else he made. This has to be special because it's the last time he gets to do this. And he makes the figures and they look real. They're beautiful. And then he finishes with the with the wood part and he makes a mold out of, it, of that wood next and he's extra careful as he makes the mold with the, the clay and that's what he has to make the mold out of it. and he's extra careful making sure every piece is perfect and when he finishes the mold he says okay the next step and he pours the precious metals into it and makes now the casting and then he takes the casting out and he begins to polish it and to sand it and to polish it and polish it and he's, his fingers must be itching because everything he does is the last time he's going to do it and his, his fingers are just extra care extra details in it and he finally gets to the point where he steps back and he says there's nothing more I can do polishes the last part and it's done it's a masterpiece It is a masterpiece. Never has anything before been created like this. Never again will anything be created like this in Israel. And he steps back. And you can picture as he goes to Moses and Aaron. And he says, it's ready. You can see it now. You know how artists are. They're kind of hiding it. You know, just wait till I'm done. Just wait till I'm done. But now he's ready. And he's thinking maybe there's going to be a unveiling and all the people you know because artists like to get the applause and they like people to see their masterpiece and maybe you know there's going to be a big curtain and they're going to pull the string and it'll open up and people can see this beautiful masterpiece and and Moses looks at it and he says thank you it's done and Bezalel says what about the unveiling and Moses said there'll be no unveiling because this last piece of work is for God and God alone. It was the ark of his presence. It's where that fire sits upon. And it went into a back room called the holiest of holies behind a veil. Nobody could see it. Sometimes our greatest work, sometimes the greatest masterpiece of our life is for God and God alone. Sometimes we'll get the applause of men. Sometimes we won't. But when we don't, it doesn't matter because everything is worship. And Bezalel is his act of worship said, God, this is the greatest masterpiece I've ever made. And it's just for your eyes and your eyes only. Just to seal this up with this, you know, I'm always amazed how God is a God of honor. 
And the Bible says this, that those same hands that were nailed to a cross, the same hands that are still scarred to this day, one day are going to put a crown on your head. And that just amazes me that God, who deserves all honor, honors us. And the Bible says that on that crown, there's precious stones. And, and each one of those stones is a memorial. In other words, you may get your crown and you'll look at a stone and you'll say, God, what does this stone represent? And he'll say, do you remember when you fed that family? And you'll say, yeah, but nobody else saw it. He says, I did. That's, that was for me. Do you remember when you gave that offering, when you helped that person? Yeah, God, but nobody saw it. God said, I did. Because the Bible says that which is done in secret, one day will be rewarded openly. And some of our greatest worship is only for God to see. Amen? Only for God to see. And then we'll take that crown with all those memorials in it of all the things we did. We'll be summoned into the temple and we'll go in with all the other people with their crowns and we'll see him who is seated on the throne. We'll look at our crown, look at him, look at our crown. And then at one moment, we'll take our crown, cast it at his feet, saying, you are only, only you are worthy of this crown. You are the one that has done it all. Amen. So when you're serving, it's not just serving, it's worship. When you're driving, it's not just driving, it's worship. When you go to work, it's worship. Everything, if we do it as unto him, is our worship to him in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, God, that each one of us has something that we can offer to you. Each one of us has a gift, a talent, and sometimes we think it's just menial, it's just service, it's just cleaning, it's just smiling at somebody, it's just praying for somebody, it's just a, a gift that I can give to somebody. But God, the pattern we see in you is, it's all worship. And when we pour ourselves out in worship at the altar, you answer with your presence. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we thank God for Pastor Robert? Come on, can we stand up to our feet? We're leaving in just a moment. I'm going to ask you if you can, stand up to your feet. Come on, what a beautiful teaching. Everything is worship. I don't know about you, I can hear Pastor Robert teach all day. He'll be preaching at 1 p.m. and at 6 p.m. It's going to be an incredible, incredible day. Come on, with every eye closed, with every head bowed, before we leave. After hearing a teaching like that, maybe you're in here today and you're saying, Alex, ah, I would love to worship God, but I think God doesn't want worship from me. Maybe you think you're far from God. Maybe you're thinking there's no way God could want somebody like me. Maybe you're in here and this is your first time, second time. Maybe you've been coming for a little bit and you say, Alex, I got some things in my life that I'm not proud of. And maybe you're in here carrying shame and guilt. And you're saying, I wish I can worship this awesome God. But but Alex, I feel far. I feel like God wants nothing to do with me. I got good news for you. I believe that you're here today because God loves you more than you could imagine. 
I really believe that it's God himself who brought you in this place. He orchestrated this moment so that you can hear how much he loves you. With every eye closed, with every head bowed. The Bible says that all of us were sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. There's not one perfect person in this place. We've all failed, we've all done wrong, said wrong, thought wrong. And the Bible says that sin separates us from God. God loves us, but God can't be with sin. And that's why God came up with a solution called Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus came down and just like Pastor Robert said, he carried my sins, your sins. The Bible says that he carried the sins of the world on his shoulders. Jesus took all of our shame. He took all of our guilt, everything that kept us from him. Jesus says, I'll be the sacrifice. Jesus went up on a cross at Calvary and there he, he paid the price. And the price was death for sin. Jesus died for us and truthfully, Jesus died as us. The Bible says that Jesus died on that cross. He, he was laid down in a grave. He was in a grave for three days. But after three days, sin and death cannot hold Jesus down. Jesus Christ, he resurrected from the dead. He's alive today. That's the best news we could ever hear. That Jesus, he is alive. And he's here today and he's offering brand new life. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Today we can be forgiven of our sins. Today we can have life brand new. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. Doesn't matter what you did last week. Doesn't matter what you did yesterday. Today you can start life again. With every eye closed, with every head bowed. In a moment of privacy and concentration. Maybe you're here today and you say, Alex, I need Jesus. Alex, I need forgiveness of my sins. Alex, I, I need a brand new beginning. I need a brand new start. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand right there where you're at. Nobody looking around, a private moment. I'm just, I'm just asking you to raise your hand just so I can see who I'm praying for. And more importantly, I believe God is seeing you raise your hand and taking this step of faith. Come on, as the whole church is praying, dream team praying, leaders praying, pastors praying. As all of us are praying, if you're in here today and you say, Alex, that's me, pray for me. I need Jesus. I want to put my faith and trust in him. I need forgiveness and I want a brand new life today. Clean slate. I want a relationship with God. At the count of three, I want you to raise your hand just for a few seconds. One, two, three. Raise your hands all over this place. Amazing. Hands everywhere. Raise it up just a little bit higher. God bless you and you and you and you and you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you and you. You, you. All in the middle. Hands everywhere to my left-hand side. Hands as well. God bless you. All the way in the back. God bless you. God bless you. Father, thank you so much for all these hands raised. Thank you for every single person making a decision today to worship you with their lives, God. They give you everything today, God. Seal this moment with your Holy Spirit like it says in your word. Come on, with every eye closed, every head bowed, I'm going to say a simple prayer and I want all of us as a family, as a community, come on, why don't we say this out loud together. If you raise your hand, I want you to repeat after me with all you've got. We're just talking to God in this moment. Repeat after me. Say, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. I admit that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God, that you died for my sins. And on the third day, you rose again. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my savior. From today and on, I will follow you all the days of my life. 
I am saved, I'm forgiven, and I'm healed. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, Calvary, can we celebrate? Come on, can we put our hands together for every person?